Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg. Sarah Whitmire is co-hosting today. She is WFIU's News Bureau Chief. And we're going to be talking about the rising COVID-19 numbers in the state of Indiana and what that means for Monroe County. And we have four guests with us today. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton is joining us. Penny Cottle, Monroe County Health Department Administrator. Dr. Tom Rosmalis, MD with IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians, and he specializes in infectious disease. And Graham McKean, Assistant University Director of Public and Environmental Health at Indiana University. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send us questions there. And you can also send us your questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, it's great to have all four of you back today. You've been with us uh, through this journey with the pandemic, and nobody has been with us longer than Graham McKean. Graham, what, when were you first on the show with us? Was it January? It was January. It was actually with Tom. I think it was January 29th. Yeah, so you and Tom have been here from the very beginning. Well, I want to <laughs> I want to ask you, Graham, to, and I've asked you a similar question, I think, every time we've had you on. Um, so we talked first in January, late January, and you know now here we are in, it's almost November, it's October 30th. Are we, you know, what, what did you expect? Where did you expect we'd be at this point? And are we anywhere close to what you expected? Or could you even, you know, hazard a guess at that point? It would have been hazard a guess, but I would not anticipate we would be in this bad of shape, um, given our capabilities uh, at the federal level and uh, with you know, medicine and, and public health and, and science and um, agencies like the CDC. And um, it's it's been quite a journey, to say the least. And I did not anticipate going into what I expected to be more of a second wave or, you know, the, the, the winter time with more upper respiratory infections and virus spreading as it gets to be colder weather. Um, was not anticipating to go into that at the absolute peak of this pandemic, which we are in now. So it's, it's quite surprising. Um, and I think it also is quite interesting to see how patchwork it, it is and how, um, you know, some of these different jurisdictions are faring differently, uh, but I think that goes all back to just not expecting the lack of, of a federal response, a coordinated response uh, in terms of things like mass mandates and, and a national testing program and, and really investing and in, in expanding that contact tracing and, and case investigation side of it. So quite surprising. Um, you know, I, I, I expected it to be a little worse here in terms of folks and their perceptions of public health and things like mask wearing, but I was not expecting it to be as politicized and divisive as it is. It's, it is all about protecting others and about the science. And uh, it's, it's been, you know, honestly quite frustrating and, and sad to see kind of the state of, of how it's played out and the conflicting messages between public health officials and, and other leadership um, at the federal level. So it's it's been a wild year. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, we, I've, we have lots of questions for you, but I, I want to bring in um, some folks to talk a little bit more about the local response. So, Penny and uh, Penny Cottle, Dr. Tom Rosmalis, and Mayor John Hamilton. I guess with for all three of you, I mean, you've you've been on the front lines here in Bloomington and Monroe County, so. We seem to be doing a little bit better, maybe a lot better than some other parts of the state and the nation. So give us a, sort of a, a scorecard. Penny, I'll start with you. How well do you think we're doing right now? Boy, I would hate to put a score on it. Um, certainly when you look around around us, I, we're doing better. We're a little bit of an island in some ways. Um, that is not to say that we don't have uh, plenty of virus 
uh, circulating in our community because we do. And we are certainly concerned about the, the numbers that we have and the daily increases, even with a percentage uh, positivity rate um, that you know is 2.4%, that's higher than we want, but it's, it's not as high as the state or um, you know, other communities, but our, our rate, our number of positive cases per 100,000 is higher than we would like to see that. So I still, I have concerns, but I do think that as a community, we have done a better job um, in terms of one, just getting people to understand and use the science. Um, we, we have followed the state guidelines, but we've also enacted some uh, local restrictions that are a little bit uh, different, more restrictive than the state. And we've kind of, even when we opened up, we've, we opened up a little slower um, and we're still, you know, opening up slower. Uh, and I think that those things are helping us and that's evidence that um, those are good decisions. Um, now, whether or not you think they're, you know, the right ones or whether you think we should have made it more strict or, you know, less strict, those are all kinds of things that can be debated and, and talked about. And they are certainly things that we have talked about all year long and we continue to talk about. Do we need to do something different? How do we change things? How do we address things um, that are coming up? And, you know, we've... We've moved through this as Graham talked, you know, we've been through a lot of different sort of phases and, you know, this is a, a new one as well. And we had hoped that, that as a state and a nation, we would be in a different place right now. Mayor Hamilton, uh, same question to you. I mean, how well do you think the response has gone here and, and where are the key areas that you hope we can improve? Well, thanks. It's nice to be with you. And I'm, I'm very cognizant that you've got three public health experts and a mayor. So I, I need to be um, recognizing what I know and what I don't know. But I, I would say, from my perspective, it feels like we've been in a nine month slow motion public health train wreck um, that we're all going through. Uh, it's been extremely challenging. Um, I agree, uh, as as you've heard that the response particularly nationally, has been extremely upsetting and disappointing and disturbing. And locally, I think we've worked extremely well together to try to deal with a very challenging situation. This is, this is, um, you know, we've lost 4,000 fellow Hoosiers to this disease um, at, at roughly the count, uh, 220,000 Americans. Um, locally, I think we've tried to do our best uh, to manage the challenge, and I think what we've done together has helped quite significantly. The, as, as Penny Cottle said, taking a slower opening, tightening down some restrictions, and then really thanking, it's a thanks to all of our residents, all of our people who are wearing masks, who are really mostly uh, really attending to the challenge of not doing social gatherings uh, and paying attention to that from churches to schools being careful. And we, we have numbers that show we're doing better than many places, despite the fact that Indiana University and bringing 35,000 students back was pretty, pretty terrifying to, to, uh, but it's worked uh, overall. So um, we're in the middle of a healthcare and health public health train wreck, and it's hurting a lot of people and killing some. Uh, but we're doing better locally than I think um, many of us worried we might see. And it's better than the state as a whole, for sure, right now. I want to stick with you and Penny for just a second. So could you remind us of what the restrictions are in Monroe County at this point? Because the rest of the state has gone to uh, the governor's stage five, which is essentially having everything opened up. I think people are still supposed to be socially social distancing and they're still supposed to be wearing masks. Um, but what's the status in Monroe County? Penny, do you want to? Penny, you want to go first? Sure, I can, I can uh, start there. And um, with our gathering sizes, as you know, when we went into stage five, that really took the restrictions off of gathering, uh, um, gathering sizes. And um, so we have had since 
summer, um, a gathering size limit of for social gatherings and events of 50. Uh, so kind of private parties, um, the city within the city limits, it's 15. Um, for commercial events, so if you're renting a venue uh, that has greater capacity to handle uh, larger gatherings, then if it's indoors, it is currently 100 people. If it's outdoors, it's 150. Um, we're also using that for kind of sporting events as long as people are potted, you know, kind of put in groups and not commingling. Um, we have some restrictions in terms of uh, no bar top service in our restaurants and bars. Um, and that's changed a little bit over as regulations have been revised, but no bar top service. We've always had the six foot distancing within those facilities. Uh, so one of the changes that uh, happened with the recent governor's orders was they took out the percentage. So whether it's 50% or 75%, which I think was actually smart because the whole the whole intent is you have to be able to distance the groups of people that you're serving. For instance, in a restaurant, your tables need to be, your people at your tables need to be six feet apart at least. And we know that if, you know, prior to COVID-19, most establishments did not have that kind of space between their, their tables. And so just by adding that space, you reduce your overall capacity for, to, from what you had originally. And so that's really the intent. We know that that distancing, you know, at least six feet is um, it really important. And so that we've maintained that, um, you know, those are the big things. We put in a mask requirement prior to the state putting that in, um, you know, so we've, those are really the big things that we have in. Um, we do have an exemption process if, you know, for events that want to go over that uh, gathering size limit. All right, Mayor, Mayor Hamilton, how well is this 15, uh, the limit of 15 working? I'm sure that was, I know that was implemented um, after the university came back and there were some big parties initially. How well is that working? Well, I think it's been important. Um, there's a big difference between a party of 10 or 14 uh, versus one of 40 or 50. Uh, and as you can get, you would guess, it's it's kind of hard to tell exactly how big a party is when you when you're going by or if uh, we ask police to um, to step in. And, and we've been working very closely with the IU police and the Bloomington police. We do have a phone number that gets reports. We've gotten dozens of uh, of reports from uh, individuals who think they see a gathering that's that's not in compliance. I do think it's been quite important that we're able to keep gatherings to a manageable size like 10 or 15 as opposed to 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. Um, that I think that's helped and, and I'll just note, you know, we're lucky that IU is doing massive testing here uh, that, that helps us monitor day to day uh, and week to week, what the background levels are in our community by testing so many in the university community. Most cities don't have anything like that level of testing going on. So that's very helpful for us to monitor it. And I, I do think it's been important. We get, we've gotten dozens of complaints and we respond. I think people are understanding that these kinds of gatherings are just not smart generally. Dr. Osmalis, I know last time we had you on, you, you talked a little bit about some of the measures that you were particularly watching. I mean, one was hospitalizations. I know in the state, I think the hospitalizations are at 1,700 now, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. And I think when we last talked, it was probably more like 800. How, how are things uh, locally? Um, so exactly right. So statewide hospitalizations, really are pretty similar to what they were back in April, which is sort of a discouraging uh, uh, statistic. Locally, we're doing better. Um, we, we, uh, we, you know, sort of uh, estimate our hospital admissions both locally and we include sort of Bedford and Paoli and, and so forth since we sort of uh, cover that area. We're probably half of where we were in April but significantly increased as compared to where we were uh, a month ago. Um, and you certainly get 
the feeling that even though we're doing very well in Monroe County, um, uh, IU Health Bloomington Hospital uh, takes care of patients from the surrounding county. So we get the overflow, if you will, from Bedford, Paoli, from Bloomfield, uh, from Martinsville, from Nashville, from, uh, from uh, uh, Bloomfield and so forth. And so uh, we, you know, hospitals operate sort of near capacity a lot of the time. And so that extra number of patients can certainly put a stress on the system pretty easily. Um, I would like to make one uh, uh, other quick comment about some of the comments that were just made re with respect to how Monroe County is doing. And I'd like to, you know, not only give credit to the city, government, public health, uh, Indiana University, IU Health, and you all, you know, the, all the media have done a very good job about informing the public locally. And I think we've had a very cooperative public here in trying to follow public health measures. Anecdotally, as I hear reports from other physicians around the state, that's not so much the case in all other communities and all other, other cities. And so the policies locally, I think, have been very effective. I'd also mentioned that the circumstances of the businesses and employers in Bloomington and in Monroe County, I think, make a difference as well. But if you think most people, a lot of people are employed by Indiana University and IU Health and Cook and and uh, Catalan and Baxter and these large companies, and they've all been partners in this. They've all uh, allowed people to work from home. They've all reinforced and emphasized these practices. And so I think we have a confluence of some of some good things here in Monroe County that have really helped us. Before uh, Sarah asks a question, I wanted to go back to, and thank you for that, but I wanted to go back to the hospitalization. So how, so Monroe County, uh, IU Health, Bloomington Hospital is doing better um, than it was last April. It, are we close to a critical situation? Uh, we're not, right now we're well within our capacity um, uh, between you know, Bloomington, Bedford and Paoli. As of yesterday, we had um, uh, less than 40 inpatients and probably somewhere in the range of uh, half a dozen or so people in intensive care units, which is uh, well within our capacity. Uh, so okay. the IU Health System, uh, as you can imagine, analyzes this on a multiple times a day basis. You know, where are we at? How many admissions? Where are they? Where, how many ICU cases? And so they follow it very closely. And we have seen a trend upward, but we're still well within our capacity. Dr. Hismalis, we got a question uh, from Wilma and she says, it seems there are more cases, but fortunately not as many deaths. The question is, have the doctors found more effective ways of treating people who get the virus? I don't think there's any question that we're better about treating patients than we were back in March and April. Um, we still, however, do not have wonderful definitive uh, therapies. Um, the two interventions that are most notable is the antiviral drug remdesivir. Interestingly, some studies show a significant benefit in terms of shorter, shorter hospital stays and, and, uh, and uh, benefit. Some large studies, like the large study that was done by the World Health Organization just recently, did not show a significant benefit and it has not shown mortality benefit with that drug. It probably reflects when it's given. It may be that that drug is only effective if given very early in the course of illness and not later, uh, but we do have that antiviral drug. Uh, we also have the use of steroids, uh, which does decrease mortality in people who are seriously ill, and so that has helped. And then I think there's just a level of experience, uh, how to manage people, what type of oxygen to deliver, when they need to be intubated, uh, all those kind of things uh, are, uh, we've learned a lot in the last several months. And so, yes, the management of the cases is better. You're listening to Noon Edition, and we're updating uh, you about COVID-19. Of course, there's been a spike around the state of Indiana. And actually, if you look at uh, a map around the country, um, it's 
pretty much um, thriving everywhere. So we're talking with John Hamilton, the mayor of Bloomington, about some of the, the responses here, as well as Penny Cottle, the Monroe County Health Department Administrator, Dr. Tom Rosmalis, MDIU Health Southern Indiana Physicians, and he specializes in infectious disease, and Graham McKean, who's Assistant University Director of Public and Environmental Health at Indiana University. You can send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Graham, we were talking about the national response earlier, and I think it's always good to to try to see how, you know, how well are we doing in the U.S.? I know you said that it's been not a good response in the U.S., but are there some model countries that we could have learned something from? Uh, certainly, and I think that's been reflected, and, and some of these countries are having a resurgence, and I think have, have learned from their mistakes, but, um, you know, there's so much that we, we didn't do right there in the beginning, and, you know, part of the reason we had to have more severe lockdowns, I think, was, one, uh, is still a mysterious virus and not truly knowing exactly how deadly it is or exactly maybe how airborne it is, um, but also, um, you know, we developed a test here at the the federal level very quickly, uh, but that test, as we all probably know now, um, failed, uh, and that really delayed us. Uh, we essentially lost a month, and so I still think you know testing um, needs to be increased. I still think there needs to be a national plan, and areas in the country where we've we've been able to increase testing, like universities, like University of Illinois, for example twice a week for students. Uh, my father teaches at BU at Boston University. He's tested twice a week, students three times a week. We're working on once a week for students right now and, and working towards twice a week for on-campus students. Um, that is really the pathway, um, especially when you have this unfettered spread. Um, and I can show you, and we have data that it, it shows right now in Indiana, it's safer to be a member of the IU community uh, on every single campus we have than it is uh, not to be. Um, so I really think the ability to know where, where the virus is is critical. And obviously right now it's everywhere. So that's a huge challenge. But um, that has got to be, in my opinion, the, the first step. Uh, but also there's just a tremendous lack of, of public health funding nationally and, and public health staffing nationally. And yeah, you can test everybody. Uh, but there's the other parts of it. There's the individual behavior pieces. Uh, there's also obviously the case investigation, contact tracing, isolation, and quarantine. And so having that ability um, to do that, and I think that's why, I mean, everybody's here has, has said the exact sentiments I have. I think the reasons why we'd like it to be better here, but we're we're doing so much better comparatively because of the messaging, because of the leadership, the fact that the locals luckily do have the ability uh, to rule in Indiana, home rule state, and take some of those more restrictions. And then the ability of, of what we've done at IU and now expanding to these in-house labs, our turnaround times are going to decrease, uh, in some cases be same day or less than 24 hours. We've got a, a cache of, of 35 contact tracers literally at the waiting uh, right now. And it's less than an hour from a case hitting the queue to the, the case interview being completed. That really helps us in public health when we can go in on that same day and see the results and see where people were and who they interacted with and coordinate. I mean, Penny, we, we get to meet. Uh, this is my day away from Penny, uh, but we meet at the Monroe County Health Department uh, Monday through Thursday. Uh, we meet with Marion County once a week. And so I think it really, that kind of framework along with straight talk from folks like public health professionals, from folks like mayors and other leaders, are, are, are the model. And so, you know, I know the comparison has always been South Korea because they had the case in the, the same day that we did. And there's actually just watched a Hulu documentary to get psyched up for this today. Um, I think it's called Totally Under Control that kind of makes that comparison. And it, it was a really stark example of what not to do. Um, so can't say enough, it's the same old school stuff, but and it, it is a lot of it is old school and a lot of it is tech driven, but um, the, the, build, the ability to test, trace, isolate, um, can't say enough and it, and it can work and we've shown that it can work um, but we want to we want to crush it a little bit further so those are the, the type of model and, and, and it can I think it can be done um, certainly okay sir Graham and, and Penny maybe you both can respond to this but I know at this week's press avail state health commissioner dr. Chris Fox was really saying that contact tracing statewide was not working because people weren't being forthcoming or wouldn't return phone calls 
How is it working at IU and throughout the county? Well, and that's that's an excellent point. And um, they have a, a new contact trace, tracing program manager at the state. And I think there's, I've already seen some improvements in communication and messaging and data. And they did show data for September of 2020, 59% um, of, of uh, initial calls and cases where interviews were completed. 29% uh, were lost to follow-ups. They were unable to identify or contact those people. And then 12% have refused to participate. And obviously that's a concern and a challenge. Um, they've also stated that that's gone up about 2%, that refusal uh, every month. And so I think that goes back to f pandemic fatigue, people over it, um, you know, stage five mentality as well. Um, where we're able to be different is the fact that we, you signed an agreement to be part of our community, whether that's a student, faculty, or staff member, that you will participate. You will participate with us, you will participate with the state and the locals uh, if needed. And so uh, that's really increased our ability to um, have a better success rate in terms of completing case investigations, identifying contacts. And so we have a conduct um, you know, process and pathway for that for faculty and staff and for students. We have policies associated with that. and. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for my my colleagues in student conduct um, because, uh, you know, after we have a waiver issue, they they get a larger waiver issue in terms of, of their workload. But I cannot say enough about um, our abilities uh, to, to be able to take action. Penny, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, well, just Graham noted, for instance, the loss to follow-up. All of those loss to follow-ups then come to the county. And um, so our nurses, we have continued to add some nurse time um, over the, the months. Um, but you know, we like most counties, most health departments operate with just a few nurses. We have a normal circumstances, uh, you know, you're looking at three part-time nurses and we contract our public health nursing with Indiana or with Indiana University Health with the hospital. Um, so it's a good collaboration there. And there, as we've been able to add some nurse hours, they've been able to pull from their uh, nursing staff at the hospital. So that's been very helpful for, for us. But, you know, the other communicable diseases that we have to follow up on do not go away during a pandemic. So our nurses are doing flu clinics we're planning for COVID vaccine clinics. They're doing contact tracing for COVID. They're doing contact tracing for other infectious diseases. They are, you know, answering questions. Um, as you can imagine, it, it's a lot um, that, that's put on their plate for a very small, small groups. So when the state took on that they were going to do the contact tracing. That was certainly good news for us. Um, so, and the intent was to do that so that the locals could concentrate on those other things and the hot spots and those, those kinds of circumstances. Um, like Graham, I think, and with everything, you know, you this is all new, you run into uh, different situations and challenges and you have to sometimes step back and regroup and, and move forward. I would also say that it is very important that people follow up. Those refusals are, they hurt our communities. Uh, whether you're here or you're traveling to another community, it may feel like, you know, it's my right to not talk to you or, or to help you. But in doing that, a person is putting the lives and the, uh, the community at risk. So it, it is very important to answer those calls and to cooperate so that we can keep the spread of this in, infection down. I've read at the state level that contact tracing is showing that a lot of cases are linked to sort of small gatherings in your home. Wondering if the same is true in Monroe County or if it is sort of these larger, any sort of larger type gatherings. 
Yeah, most of what we are seeing are, are really sort of those family or close-knit units. We're not seeing a lot of, you know, large events, um, those kinds of things happening in our community. That isn't to say that there aren't, again, pockets of things like that that happen. Again, it can also go to cooperation and people, you know, telling you fully where they've been and what they've done. Um, you know, you have to think about part of those questions when you test positive is where have you been in the last, you know, in the last period of time, whatever, whenever we're talking to you, how quickly that happens, whether it's been the last few days, um, the last 24 hours, the last 48, or whether maybe it was the last week, where have you been, who have you been with, what, you know, who are your close contacts, um, but we are really seeing mostly um, it is sort of those family units. We're not seeing it in the classroom. Um, there's not been evidence of really spread um, in classrooms, whether it's at the university or the local level. Um, but it, I really, we talked about that stage five kind of, and just fatigue in general, um, but people having that sense of, if I'm in a group of five, that um, that's safe and if I'm in a group of 50, it's unsafe. And the reality is the larger the group, I would say there's some relative risk that goes up with that. However, I could be in a group of 50 who are well distanced, who are masked, who are uh, practicing good prevention strategies and my risk will be much lower than if I'm in a group of five people or six people that are not masking, that are not maintaining social distance, that are not taking precautions. Uh, so it really does come down to behaviors. And we have the means to prevent this. Uh, you know, we can stop the, the spread of this infection. And it, it is not new stuff. We've been talking about this for a long time now. It's that six foot distancing, you know, we call it social distancing, kind of like IU, it's really physical distancing. We don't want people to not be social. We just want people to find new ways to maintain that mental health aspect and, and socialization that we need. We need people to wear masks when they, especially when they are in public, when they are around people outside of their household, uh, we need people to avoid crowds, but again, it's crowds of people that are not distancing, that are not masking, that are not taking appropriate precautions, uh, staying home when we're ill, and good hand hygiene. And I'm going to toss in there now, you know, making sure that we use vaccines. Right now, it's get your flu shot. Don't, don't add to uh, the potential to stress our hospitals with influenza. And when the COVID vaccine is available, plan on getting that. You have a question or a comment for our guests today, you can follow us on Twitter and send us a question, a question there at noon edition. And you can also send us questions for the show at news at Indiana public media.org. Mayor Hamilton, before last weekend, you actually signed a letter about IU or about Big Ten football coming back. IU won a big game and there was a huge crowd that, uh, well, probably not huge by by that type of victory, but certainly a non-distancing non large group of people that were on Kirkwood and outside Memorial Stadium. Uh, first, what did you think about all that? And then I'm gonna ask Dr. Rismalis um, a follow-up question about that as well, about the impact, but Mayor, if you could go well, first. Yeah, thank. Well, first it was a great victory for IU, so that was that was that was incredible, and and not totally shocking that some people uh, get pretty excited and and behave in ways that aren't really in compliance with our our local uh, regulations. Um, we we will be monitoring the data uh, because of the good testing. We're actually doing uh, wastewater testing from our water utility as well, looking for viral loads in the wastewater. We are able to do kind of day to day uh, testing and seeing what those results will be and. It's a five to seven day uh, incubation period. We should start to see if there's a result of that and that will help uh, determine how, how strongly we need to respond to that. It, you know, the good things were these were outside, they were basically not long lasting. Um, and uh, while people weren't masked and they were too close, uh, we, we hope that that won't cause a 
systemic problem here, but um, but it, it does cause concern. I I do just want to look. I'm I'm not the public health expert here, but I I, I do want to just make a couple quick points. First, the country is going in the wrong direction. The national leading voice, Dr. Fauci, said we are going in the wrong direction. Every state in America has increasing infections. Fifty out of fifty. Uh, that's a big deal that the country is going the wrong direction uh, at our state level. I just want people to understand how serious this is. During September, uh, uh, during August and September, we were averaging about eight or 900 cases a day. In October, it has gone up to 2,400. That's the seven day average. It's more, it's almost tripled the cases per day we're seeing in this state in the last month. That is a big deal. Daily deaths on the seven-day average have more than doubled in the state. That is a big deal. The, we are going the wrong direction. And uh, while locally we are doing much better than that, we are not out of the woods. And you can't be an island with rising seas all around you and not have the impacts come into our community. So it's really important uh, to be aware of how significant this increase is, the risk for us, it's killing people. It's dangerous. And and the last point I want to make is, you know, I'm I am so appreciative of what we have locally in the collaborations that you've heard described. But having leaders, and I, this being a family show, I'm not going to name names, but having leaders politicize the the response to this, whether it's mask wearing, whether it's physical gathering, is just irresponsible and obscene. This is this is a national health emergency. The things that we can do actually are not that hard in some ways. The mask wearing and the physical distancing, yes, it's it's challenging, but we can keep working. We can keep many things operating while doing these, much different from a stay-at-home order. So it's really uh, disturbing that we cannot focus better at the state and national levels on these steps that need to be taken. And I so appreciate the public health experts reminding us that. Uh, as a public, and I so appreciate our local community, which is doing well. We just have to be aware that us doing well in the midst of rising seas around us is not enough, uh, and and we have to be very wary about that. Dr. Rasmalis, I, I trust what the mayor said about the five to seven days, but I just want to get your thoughts on when we might, uh, when that would show up, um, and from the uh, from the celebrations after the IU victory. And then I have another follow-up after that. Um, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, the incubation period peak is about at that five-day interval. And then, of course, it may take a little time for diagnosis and it can dribble out to be about 14 days. Um, yeah, I think the, the point is, despite all we've been through, we need not to give in to this COVID fatigue. I mean, that's just not an excuse. We're in the midst of this. I would reemphasize what Mayor Hamilton said. We're in the midst of this and we can't let our guard down. And uh, the fact that we're doing better in Monroe County uh, than some of the surrounding counties is reassuring that we're doing the right thing. But I think it's very true. And particularly at IU Health uh, in Bloomington, uh, we know that uh, we will we will receive a lot of the uh, overflow from the surrounding counties and that's critical and that's serious. And it's hard to maintain quality care, not only in terms of taking care of COVID patients, but in terms of elective surgeries and everything else, if you're overwhelmed with, uh, with COVID patients. So it is, it is, a, it is an important thing. Um, uh, so we, yeah, we will see, uh, but hopefully you know, being outdoors and so forth, maybe maybe we'll get lucky on that uh, on those occasions. We've had some questions come in, and, and I think this one would be good for you, Doctor. Um, I've read that the CDC thinks COVID immunity only lasts about 30 days after recovery. If so, how will a vaccine work to create immunity? That's asked by Sarah. Um, th I think there's a lot of sort of misinformation about how long COVID immunity lasts, because a lot of people misinterpret the presence of antibodies in your blood as synonymous with immunity. Antibody levels may last 
a significant period of time in many people. But even when they disappear, that does not necessarily mean that you are susceptible to reinfection. And so my suspicion is that COVID immunity lasts quite a bit longer than, than we're led to, uh, led to worry about with some of these uh, antibody studies and so forth. And, and, and that would match immunity studies that were done way back in SARS in 2002 and 2003. Immunity there lasted years. And so I'm hopeful that uh, immunity lasts uh, a good long time. We do have some cases of reinfection that have been described in the medical literature, but fortunately very few. And so uh, I, think, uh, I think immunity may well last longer. The, the vaccines are exciting. Um, I've been watching those fairly carefully, the preliminary data as they've been released. And um, several of the vaccines look like they are going to be effective. And I think side effect profiles will be within acceptable ranges. And so I'm, I'm very positive on the vaccine side of things. I think, uh, I think that's gonna be effective and I think it's gonna work. I think the difficulty will be, you know, getting the vaccines, distributing them, um, identifying people who most need them quickly, you know, all those kind of logistic type things. But uh, I'm hopeful and I suspect they're gonna be effective. So one question that came in was, how soon might we see a vaccine? Well, the, the you know, the, there are, what, three or four vaccines that are all, you know, sort of approaching the finish line. Um, the uh, uh, BioNTech Pfizer vaccine is probably the closest to, uh, to being uh, available. That's the one that the State Department of Health, I believe, has talked about perhaps having uh, sometime in November or December. Um, the Moderna vaccine, those two vaccines are called messenger RNA vaccines, and, and they've already vaccinated their 30,000 people and are just following for effectiveness and side effects. And so I would expect they would be reporting in before the end of the year. Um, the um, COVID Shield University of Oxford vaccine and Johnson & Johnson vaccines are sort of uh, coming along as well. So there's several vaccines all coming along at the same time, but I expect that maybe before this end of the year, we'll be able to be vaccinating some people. Okay, and I've got to ask you this question. I hope it doesn't uh, lead into too much of a political discussion, but you know, the most high profile person who's gotten COVID was President Trump. And I guess I, I just need to ask you if you can help us uh, sort of unpack what we saw in that case. You know, he, he uh, went into the hospital, was out in three days and back on the campaign trail in four saying that he had was, he now had immunity and was cured as a physician. You know, can you help us unpack that? Well, several things I would comment. One, we don't really entirely understand why some people get so ill and other people's not. Um, there are genetic factors. There are uh, underlying health criteria. There is age. Um, there is probably prior exposure to other common cold coronaviruses that all go into it. And we've seen the same pattern here in Bloomington. Uh, we've seen elderly people do very well with minor symptoms, and we've seen younger people have much more serious illness. And so there are a lot of factors that go into it. With respect specifically to the president, um, first off, he was diagnosed very quickly because he was getting random testing. So he was diagnosed probably much more quickly than most people would have been diagnosed. Secondly, he was given an experimental monoclonal antibody preparation immediately which is not really something that's available. We do give some convalescent plasma, but it doesn't have perhaps quite the same, same effect as a monoclonal antibody. And he was given remdesivir immediately as well. Um, so his management was uh, more aggressive and outside the norm and earlier than you would expect for most individuals. Maybe that gives us a lesson that early treatment does make a bigger difference than when we, admit people, you know, a week or 10 days into their illness. Um, but his care was not um, what most people in the United States can expect to get uh, with the early diagnosis, the monoclonal antibodies and so forth. Um, 
And so there, there is a little bit of uniqueness to that situation. Okay, um, thank you. Sarah? Can you, can you talk a little bit about how the National Guard is going to be assisting nursing homes and if some National Guard members will be coming to Monroe County? I think that starts next week. Yes, I, I don't have a lot of those details just because we are not in the middle of scheduling those things. Uh, but we know that long-term care facilities have been challenged. Um, you know, again, it's a congregate setting. It, it can be very difficult to kind of maintain um, safety and, and reduce spread if, it's in, if the virus is introduced into the facility. We also know that long-term care facilities, uh, like you know, we've talked about healthcare in general, uh, they often are they usually are not staffed uh, to the capacity that we would like them to be, that they really need to be, and so they have over the last few months testing and long-term care facilities has been ramped up so that they are doing regular testing. It is oftentimes what we're seeing is that individuals who work in facilities are the, in, is how it's being introduced into those facilities. So they are doing regular testing. They're taking the National Guard and using them to help with that testing because with that, there comes paperwork, there comes reporting and all of those kinds of things. And so the intent is to use National Guard to help with those procedures so that the staff at the long-term care facilities can actually tend to the, the residents in that facility. So hopefully it will help ease and share the, the burden of all of that so that we can maintain that testing. Because the key, the key for testing, right, is that we do identify infection early so that we can take steps early. And, you know, if we know very quickly that you are infected, Dr. Smallis was talking about this, Graham's talked about this, uh, then we can get that person isolated and away from others where they may be unintentionally spreading the infection. And then we can identify those close contacts and get them quarantined so that, again, if they become positive and infectious, that they are not spreading that, inf that infection further. And isolation and quarantine are really important interventions in terms of stopping the spread of the infection once someone has it. And we deal with that process in lots of other different ways. Uh, Graham, I, I wanna ask you about holidays. Certainly we have Halloween coming up tomorrow and then looking ahead to Thanksgiving, Christmas, people trying to make plans. What do you suggest people do to keep safe and still celebrate with their families? Well, it, it, sadly, this, I think, is really challenging. And, you know, we try to think about something unique or novel to say in response to, to these questions and this guidance. And it is those same things. And so I'd really maybe suggest limiting um, the numbers of family members you do gather with. Uh, try to keep that as low as possible, as sad as that is to say. Because uh, as we were just saying, I think a lot of the ongoing spread is related to these small gatherings, often family gatherings. There was actually a, a, a pretty great case study in the CDC a week or two ago about a 13-year-old who was knowingly exposed on day four, took a, a rapid antigen test and was negative. Uh, they discontinued quarantine, which is not advised. Two days later, got in the car and went to a family uh, gathering for a couple of weeks, uh, had a little bit of a runny nose that day, the 14 people that stayed in the home with the family, uh, 13 of those were infected, two hospitalizations. The six people that visited for a couple of days outside, no, stayed distance, did not traverse inside the home, did not get COVID. Um, so I think it's just a good kind of case example of, um, you know, this virus obviously doesn't know, uh, is not, you know, no nepotism here. And it's, I think it's gonna be entirely challenging um, to have any really true good guidance, but the, the smaller the people, the better, the distance, the better, the masking, the better, limiting duration. Um, we know that, you know, the cumulative duration now with the close contact of 15 minutes or more within a 24 hour period of somebody being infectious is our operational definition. So limiting that time of any close contact. And then you can consider testing. Um, we're gonna offer 19,000 
uh, what we're calling departure test for our last week of operations uh, before we kind of shut down for the semester November 20th. Um, but that's also imperfect to some degree as well because you could be infected the moment you completed that test, right? Uh, but at least we do have some of that still available. And I think that's one thing Indiana has done a great job of is to offer uh, community testing for asymptomatic individuals. But I think it's gonna be really challenging um, this, this fall and winter um, as we go indoors and as we might be closer together. So don't have any really great advice for that. <laughs> I'm not sure which of you uh, is best to answer this, but I think I'm going to ask uh, Mayor Hamilton. Uh, we had a question from John and uh, they came in to us. How well has IOSHA been monitoring workplace safety conditions during the pandemic? Interesting question. Do yeah, I, I, I don't, I can't report on the states. Uh, that's really run out of the state. Um, I, you know, everybody's busy. I will say, I think our employers, and it's been referenced here before from, you know, some of the largest like Indiana University and IU Health and Cook and school systems and others are uh, Baxter, Catalan. Our, our employers tend to be pretty, pretty well focused on this uh, in part because of the nature of their work. Um, and as Penny Cottle said as well, the contact tracing does not seem to indicate major issues at workplaces. Uh, I know at our own workplace in the city, we've, you know, we've changed the way everybody works over the last nine months. And the, and the indications are that those settings seem to be doing um, okay. Uh, it's really these, these informal and social and family and uh, uh, other gatherings that seem to be the way the community spread is happening. But I, I don't have more detail on IOSHA, I'm sorry. And I think you've, you've, um said that I think there are 16 cases that have been city employees and that's out of how many city employees do you have? Yeah, we've, we've had uh, about that number over uh, 850 employees and it's been interesting whether it's a firefighter or a parks employee or a bus driver that the contact tracing, the transmission is not seeming to happen at the employment at workplaces. It's happening outside workplaces for a firefighter or others. And that's natural. That's, there's nothing, it's not condemning anybody for anything. It's just noting that the transmission does seem to be happening not at the workplace. Um, and we continue to, you know, everybody's being ex as careful as we can be about that. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank you all again for being with us today. It's been, uh, you've been with us several times and we really appreciate it because your knowledge and the information that you share, I think is helpful in keeping this pandemic under control as much as we can. So thank you to Jan, John Hamilton, Penny Caudill, Dr. Tom Rosmalis, and Graham McKeon. Uh, I want to thank um, my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, and producer Benta Boutier, engineer John Bailey. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.